At this time, I want to dismiss the children kindergarten through fifth grade to go to the new fellowship hall for a children's church. You can follow Josh and uh, whoever's going to be helping him there. So kindergarten through fifth grade. Our text this morning as we continue through the Gospel of Matthew, and at this point, the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we praise you for this text. We praise you for this truth. We pray for your spirit to direct us as we break it down and as we seek to apply it to our lives, Father. God, we praise you and we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, we're on another pretty sensitive subject, aren't we? When you talk about people's possessions or their bank accounts, we can quickly get defensive, can't we? We have uh, just something within us, within our sin nature, that wants to protect our pocketbooks, don't we? Jesus calls it the laying up of treasures in heaven. That sentence contains three basic parts. We're going to look at them this morning in reverse order. We're going to look at the where, the what, and the how. And the where is heaven. The what is our treasures. And the how is the laying up. How do we lay up? That's the process we're going to use as we break this down this morning. First of all, we want to look at the where. And... I ask you a question this morning. Do you believe that heaven is a real place? Or is it just a word you use to throw around and you, don't really, you haven't really studied? You haven't really given it much thought? In Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He uses the words dwell with, be with. These are statements of physical relationship. Heaven, as I said, is a physical place. Things are tangible there. We can touch them. It's a real place. In our humanity, we are so earthly minded. We're used to being able to touch things to feel things, to, to see things, to hear things, to smell things, to feel the edge of a step with your foot, thankfully. But it is a tangible place. We can touch things. Earth is all we know in reality, isn't it? We haven't experienced heaven yet. 
when we die, if we are converted, if we have embraced the finished work of Jesus Christ, we will cross over into eternity. We will cross over into heaven. Earth is a fallen place. Sin has brought death. Things decay. Plants, animals, and people die. It's not that way in heaven. Things are perfect. They are eternal. Heaven, as we talked about just a couple weeks ago, is coming down to earth. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Righteousness dwells. That means that sin will be absent. Righteousness will reign. These two, this new heaven and new earth, are not merging with our current earth. They are replacing it. In verses 19 and 20 of chapter 6, Jesus refers to these two places. He speaks of laying up treasures on earth, where there's death and where there's sin, decay and stealing. And he refers to heaven, where there is no death and sin. It's important that we grasp the concept of heaven. Heaven, as I said, is a very real place. A place absent of sin. We are granted entrance into heaven by Christ's sacrifice and by his sacrifice alone. He stepped down from the right hand of his Father down to this earth and dwelt among us to be the perfect ultimate sacrifice, to be persecuted, to die on that cross, and to be resurrected in victory over sin and death, to return to the right hand of his Father and to prepare a way for us to enter there also. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was with his Father, but yet for our sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That rich, that wealth is an eternal richness, an eternal wealth an eternal opportunity to dwell with the God who created us. We have an opportunity while we're here on this earth to lay up treasures in that heaven. But what are these treasures? What is Christ talking about? The Greek word translated treasures normally means accumulated wealth in the form of money, jewels, or other valuables. Basically, it's our possessions here on this earth. We understand treasures here on earth, don't we? We understand jewels. We understand money. We understand cars and houses, property, stocks, bonds, bank accounts. We understand those, that terminology. We understand that we do treasure those things, don't we? But what are treasures in heaven? Let's go to Matthew chapter 25, and I encourage you, there's going to be a couple verses up on the screen, but I encourage you, if you have your Bibles, whether paper or digital, to turn to this chapter, because we're going to do a quick skim of it. And I want to encourage you also, just because we put the scriptures up on the screen, don't leave your Bibles at home. Bring your Bibles with you, and, and be prepared to, to look into them and to use them. And please use them at home. 
Please use them at work. Please, please be digging in your scriptures. Don't just leave it up to me or the, or the leadership team here or those who teach here in the Sunday school classes. Cherish God's word. Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. It starts out, the kingdom of heaven will be like, and it goes on to tell two parables. The first relates to preparing for entrance into the kingdom of heaven. As we get to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, we'll look at that parable in detail. Going down to verse 14, chapter 25, verse 14. The second parable, and the one we want to look at a little bit this morning, relates to once we are there, once we are in the kingdom of heaven. And verse 14 says, For it, referring to, as we know from verse 1, the kingdom of heaven will be like... And he goes on to give a parable talking about these men who he gives varying levels, varying degrees of responsibility. He gives them different amounts of money to, for their charge, for them to be in charge of. We want to focus on the result of that first man. As you go down to Matthew chapter 25, verse 19, going through verse 21, it says, Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he, the first man, who had received the five talents, came forward, bringing five talents more. He had the five talents that were given him, plus another five talents, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Go embrace your king. He was rejoicing in the faithfulness of the servant, and he was rewarding him accordingly. You say, well, wait a minute, Kevin. This doesn't seem fair. This principle of heavenly rewards according to our work or our dedication here on earth. I want the opportunity to be in charge of more so that I'll have the opportunity to have more rewards in heaven. I'll tell you this morning, I don't fully understand this whole principle of rewards in heaven, the different degrees. I don't. And we're going to discuss it more again as we get to this parable and other teachings of Christ in chapter in Matthew. But as I look at this, this part of the principle this morning, I have to remind myself I'm looking at it through human eyes. I'm not going to necessarily understand it completely. My eyes are fallen They're skewed by this fallen world, by sin. And I believe that's what Jesus is talking about in verses 22 and 23 of Matthew chapter 6. Because from what Scripture tells us, there is order in heaven. There is a hierarchy. There is a structure. Just like we have on earth. You know, there are over 7 billion people on earth. We don't need 7 billion pastors. We don't need 7 billion mayors of our towns. We don't need 7 billion governors. We don't need 7 billion presidents. We only need a few for organization's sake. And in the hierarchy in heaven, the individuals who serve in these different positions will be equal in God's eyes. No one will be any more important than another. Yet, it will be obvious that they were faithful with what they were entrusted with here on earth. Yet, none of us will be offended by the position of another. 
Because every reason that we have for caring about our social status here on earth is a result of sin. Primarily, our pride and our selfishness. We don't want someone to be above us because we don't want them to think that we are inferior to them. Inferiority will not be an issue in heaven. Remember, it's righteous. It's sinless. It will just be the way it is, and I believe that we will be perfectly fine with that. Whether it's material or spiritual, Jesus is clear that we will have rewards proportional to our obedience in this life. Again, I don't fully understand that. I'm at peace with the fact that I don't have to understand that, but to know that this will all function within a realm where sin is absent, where selfishness and pride do not exist. So if these are our treasures, how do we get them into heaven? Well, there's no heavenly bank that we can make a, go to make a deposit at, is there? Matthew chapter 19, verse 21 and this is the, the end of the account of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. That account goes on to, to, to relate that this man was saddened because he had great wealth, and he was unwilling to let go of it. You say, Kevin, you're quoting several verses from Matthew going ahead that we're going to come to eventually. Yeah, I am. And we're going to look at them in depth later. We're going to come back to the subject again because Jesus does. Jesus taught a lot about the subject of our material possessions and things for a reason. Because they are a direct symptom to the condition of our heart, of our hearts. And it was important for us to identify these symptoms and get to the root of the hard issue that is manifested in the way that we handle our possessions in this world. The way we spend our time is equally important as to what we do with our physical possessions. And we can definitely lay up treasures by our service here on earth. We don't have to have material possessions to be able to lay up treasures in heaven. That's what I wanted to affirm here this morning. But in this particular context, he is talking specifically of material possessions. And that's why we're relating it this way this morning. That is not to belittle any service that you do where you have spent hours and months and years of your life in service. Those that too is building up treasure is storing up treasures in heaven. But this morning we're relating specifically to material possessions. Going back to the story of the rich young ruler, so am I supposed to give everything away? Is that the answer? That I'm not supposed to have a dime to my name? If I get one, it better go straight through my hands to, to someone in need? I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. In Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 8, this is the, the account of Zacchaeus. It says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has came to this house. Jesus didn't tell him that his half wasn't enough. He affirmed the attitude of his heart that led to that giving away of half of his possessions. 
It's not as simple as just giving everything away. That doesn't finish the work. Zacchaeus only gave away 50%, plus whatever he owed those who he had robbed from. Maybe that was the other 50%. I don't know. But there is no set number in Scripture. We kind of like definite numbers, don't we? Someone once said that if someone told us that we could write a check for $10,000 to get into heaven, we would scrounge and scrape and we'd find and we'd write that check and we'd be thrilled. But the fact is, salvation is a free gift of God and we're unwilling to receive it. Why is it that we like definite numbers that we can finish things? It's because we're selfish. We like to mark those things off. And we realize that that free gift does come at a high cost. We have to die to ourselves. And that's the price that we have to be willing to pay. If every Christian, just to bring perspective, was commanded to give away all of their possessions, then we should have no Christian business owners, should we? We know that's not the case. We know that there are faithful business owners out there who have thriving businesses who are faithful in giving and returning to the kingdom. I encourage you, and I want to spend a lot of time on this morning, but search the internet for Hobby Lobby and the family that owns Hobby Lobby. You will be blessed by the work that God has done in their hearts and that he is doing through that family. That's one example. There are many Christian-owned businesses out there who are pushing it forward, who are pouring into the kingdom of God. It's the heart behind it. It's, it's not that we have to all be pop, paupers. But it's, a, it's the idea of where our hearts are. You could give away millions of dollars. You could live in a shack and do it all for the wrong reasons. You go back to the beginning of chapter 6 and he tells us not to let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. We're supposed to do it in humility. For the purpose of glorifying God, not for the purpose of getting attention ourselves. God may very well ask you to give away everything. That may be what you're called to. And I believe that God has great plans. And he is desiring for us to hold our possessions very loosely. But I just encourage you that each situation is personal, individual, and you may not be called to the same as someone else. But the truth is, he's more concerned about your willingness to let go of everything. How tightly you're holding to what you consider your possessions. That's what God's concerned about. As I said when I read our call to worship text this morning, Paul had something very much in more detail to say about this subject. Going back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. So they may take hold of that which is truly life. 
Paul gave some specific directives in these verses. He says, tell them not to be haughty, not to act like they're better than everyone else because of their possessions. He tells, them, tells us not to put our hope in riches. If I have just a little more, then I'll be okay. Don't put your hope, don't put your expectation of fulfillment in your riches. He says they are to do good, to be rich in good works, for your good works to be plentiful, to be generous and ready to share, not hesitant, not suspicious, but generous and ready to share. This all comes out. These are manifestations of a changed heart. These are not things that we can go through this list and check them off and manufacture them. They come out of a heart that is focused and turned to God. And he goes on to say, Thus, because of these things, they are storing up treasures for themselves. These are all means to push our treasures forward into eternity. You say, I think I'm generous. Well, I want to be generous. What are the obstacles to generosity? What are the obstacles to holding the material things of this world loosely? Well, let's look at Paul's points specifically. Do you think you're better than others because of what you have? Why do you have the house that you have? Why do you drive the car that you drive? Is it for social status? Is it because you want others to see what you have, the possessions you have? I'm not saying it is. I'm asking you that question. I'm asking you to ask yourself that question. Somebody has to buy new cars or there won't be used cars. Buying a new car itself isn't sin. But I ask you the question, why? Why did you buy the one you bought? Again, I'm not judging you. I'm not condemning you. I'm asking you to honestly ask yourself these questions. The truth is, as we talked about earlier, about the giving away millions of dollars in the shack, your car can be held together with bailing wire and duct tape, and it can be an issue of pride for you. Do you ever feel like you have enough in the bank? Yes, there's wisdom in saving and investing and preparing for the future. Scripture speaks of being like the ant and saving and preparing. But do you ever feel like you have enough? Do you ever think you have enough? Or are you always nervous that, that one great catastrophe might came up, come up and wipe you out? What are you resting in? What are you putting your hope in? Are you generous and ready to share? Do you have to do a full investigation before you give to someone or something? Why don't we just give and trust God? Is your heart following your money? Chapter 6, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you have an eternal perspective when it comes to the material things that you've been entrusted with? Are you longing for heaven? Or are you living for the things of this world? Do you give token amounts to charities or to the church to relieve your guilty conscience? But spend the bulk of your money and your time on your hobbies. Do you cringe at legalism but are very adamant about calculating your tithe to the exact penny because you don't want to give more than that 10%? Do you not give as much to the church because you think the church should be doing more with it? 
Are you following your contributions to the church with your involvement in the church? Is your heart following your money? Again, I'm asking you to examine yourself. Are you looking for reasons why you shouldn't give money to the needy? You say, well, they don't deserve it. I don't trust them. They'll just waste it. I'm supposed to be the steward with my money. Yes, we are. But do you realize that it's not necessarily about them? The truth is, we can't limit God. Those individuals are going to be provided for. You say, but people are suffering because people aren't giving. Yes, they are. And God is using that suffering to work in their lives. That doesn't give us a license not to give. But it just reminds us that the giving is actually about our heart condition and trusting that God will take care of those people. He will take care of those missions. He will take care of our church. People are suffering because this is a fallen world. God's will will be fulfilled. Don't get me wrong this morning. I would love to see our budget as a church increase. I would love to see our building paid off. I would love to see our staff increase so that we can pour into new ministries and and different opportunities we may have as a congregation. But I would also like to see our nation seeking the things of God. I would love to see families made whole again who are broken because of the sin of individuals. Remember Joseph and the journey he went on. And in the end, he spoke to his brothers. He said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Yes, people sinfully withholding the material possessions are causing hardship. But God will use that hardship. It's not his perfect plan, but he will use that hardship. It comes back to us. Why are we not sharing? Why are we not free with the possessions that God has entrusted with us? It's not about the money. Money actually means nothing to God. Have you ever heard the little story about the individual? He was very wealthy here on earth. And he got a whole bunch of gold bricks and he took him to heaven's gate with him. And the angel at the gate looked at him and said, what's in your bag? And he opened the bag and he showed him and said, why are you bringing pavement? See, money doesn't mean anything to God. What, mean, what, what God's looking for is what we do with that money and what that money means to us. It's all about us. It's about you and why you do what you do with the possessions that you have. See, behind these excuses for not giving are sins. The sin of fear, pride, selfishness, greed. Those are the reasons that we don't give. Because our heart condition needs healing. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I said, wait a minute, Kevin, that sounds like he's telling us to be self-focused. Lay up treasures for yourself. Where? In heaven. The only place where those treasures will glorify him. The only place where they will be untainted by sin. When you lay out treasures in heaven, we will get varied rewards as we've discussed. But those rewards serve the purpose of glorifying God. So when he tells us to lay out treasures for ourselves, it's for the ends to glorify him. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, in the words of one of the richest men to ever walk this earth, 
He knew he had riches beyond belief. And if anyone was going to be satisfied and be fulfilled by the riches, it was going to be Solomon. He says, he who loves money would not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. If you're depending, if you're putting your hope in riches, you'll never have enough riches. If you're putting your hope in your salary, you'll never make enough money to be satisfied. True satisfaction only comes from a deep, rich relationship with Jesus Christ and a heart that is changed by that relationship. Chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will love the one and hate the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I ask you a question this morning. Does God own your possessions? Or do your possessions own you? You say, Kevin, you missed an option. What about me owning my possessions? That's not an option. Either you know in your heart that God owns all your possessions or your possessions own you. Now, this is a process. Don't be discouraged. Remember, we are being sanctified. Your pastor is being sanctified. I'm nowhere near the end of this journey when it comes to material possessions. In fact, as I review myself and as I look inside of myself, I feel like I have a long way to go. But my heart is longing to honor God in this. My heart is longing to lay up treasures in heaven, even though in my flesh I fail, sometimes miserably. Maybe you think you're fine. Everyone, it's everyone else who has the problem. I encourage you this morning, don't judge them. Don't make it about the cars they drive or the house they live in. How does it go when, pri- when people try to guilt you into addressing one of your sin issues? I don't receive it very well. When it comes from a heart of accusation, an attacking spirit, I don't receive that very well. You say, but Kevin, there's so much more that can be done. Remember, we can't limit God. God's got it. God's in control. What he's concerned about is the heart of each of us, of each individual person. We just need to leave the big picture to him. Encourage you this morning, pray for your attitude as you seek to reach out to others. Do you have compassion for those individuals? Or do you have disdain? Do you have jealousy over what they have? And do you think if you had what they have, you could do so much more? You could. Would you? Pray for your heart to be changed. We're going to talk about this more in Matthew chapter 7 when we talk about removing the beam from your own eye. It doesn't mean you don't go. It means you prepare yourself and then you go. Then I encourage you to pray for their hearts. Pray that their eyes will be open to the value they're putting on their possessions. Pray that their eyes will be open to the fact that they are owned by their possessions. Encourage you to set an example. Be that generous person. Yes, I know Christ said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. But what he's saying is, don't do it for that reason. Don't give just so people will see who you are and how important you are, and how great you are. But let them see your generosity for the sake of glorifying God. 
Hope you understand and, and, and know where I'm coming from there. Lead them, show them, illustrate it, demonstrate it for them. Finally, trust in the sovereignty of God. Remind yourself that God is in control. God's going to take care of that mission. God's going to take care of our church. God's going to take care of those individuals. This church has seen, has seen each of you has seen individually where the impossible has happened, where funds have came in, where it seemed like it was impossible for them to come in. That's because God's in control and not us. But in the middle of that, there are individuals who are making decisions with their personal finances. God's concern is about their heart and why they're making the decisions, why you're making the decisions that you're making. Jim Elliott had this quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Wealth is just another opportunity in whatever degree we possess it. Wealth is just another opportunity to overcome the flesh. A symptom to expose a heart condition that we have that needs to be uprooted and cast out and hung on the cross and buried and resurrected and victory over by the Savior who died for us. It is an opportunity for us to glorify God. This morning... What are you doing with that opportunity? Are you actively seeking for the heart condition in your life that is motivating the way you are handling the possessions that God has entrusted to you? Does God own your possessions? Are you living like God owns your possessions? Or do your possessions own you? Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We praise you for your faithfulness. We praise you for your gentleness. We praise you for your endless love that reaches out to us and that gives us opportunities to expose the heart conditions that manifest themselves in our sin. God, open our eyes to our own sin. Open our eyes to the heart conditions that are leading to the pride, the selfishness, the fear that drives how we handle our possessions. Work in our hearts. Pray that your spirit will purge deep into our hearts. And work with each of us, Lord. And God, as we open our hearts to your truth, to your character, to your nature, that we will pour out the possessions that you have given us, Lord. That we can lay up treasures in heaven. That we can increase your kingdom. That we can bring others into the fold through whatever ministries or opportunities you give us, Father. Lord, give us the strength by your love, by your grace, through the power and influence of your Holy Spirit, to be people of generosity, people who rest and trust, Lord, that you are in control, that you have us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.